Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, we come this morning wanting to meet you again and to have a deeper understanding of who you are and what you're willing to give us and where you're willing to meet us. Holy Spirit, this morning, come down powerfully on every, in the hearts of every man, woman, and child, whether they be present here or whether they um, be listening to the service from home. Speak to them as only you can speak to the needs of every individual. We trust you, we love you, and we ask for your blessing now. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all his people said, Amen. Last week you had Joash John and you had 1 John come to you. Today, my name is John Markoliese, and you have 2 John coming to you. So there's no way you could confuse me with him, but here I am, and I'd like to speak to you about the Prince of Peace. Now, most speakers commence their address in this place by saying good morning. And this morning, I will not extend those greetings. Rather, I come to you saying shalom. I come to you saying peace. And I first encountered that greeting in Italy when my wife and my family were traveling and going from church to church. And as you walk through the threshold, people don't say hello. They say peace. They say shalom. And having grown up in this place, I thought, how strange, how bizarre. But then I told myself, there must be a reason why people extend this greeting of peace and shalom. Is it wishful thinking? Is it a hope or an ideal, a pursuit that they're wishing upon us? Or is there something much deeper? Is there something much more meaningful? Is there a spiritual teaching and application to this wish of shalom, to this greeting of shalom, and to this greeting of peace? We'll be looking at Isaiah 9.6, and we're continuing the series, and we have four names here that are given to Jesus. The first three is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Everlasting Father. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is given the same names as God Himself. This is huge and monumental because one of the core teachings that we adhere to in this place is that Jesus is God. It's a stumbling block for many people, but we believe that Jesus is God made in the flesh. Impossible to fully explain, but Jesus is God. And we have a fourth name for him. Prince of Peace. And a prince is somewhat different from a king. A king refers to the father, and a prince is a descendant of the father. Is this just a coincidence, or is there 
a reason behind it. And if you study scripture, you will learn very quickly that nothing is a coincidence in the Bible. Everything fits in together just perfectly. Where do we come across the notion of God being God Shalom for the first time and that God being a God of peace? You will notice throughout the Old Testament, God's name in many instances comes with an adjective. And what that adjective does is that it describes a particular trait or characteristic of God's person, of his personality, of who he is and what he is. And in Judges chapter 6, there's a particular discussion between an angel of God and Gideon. And at that moment in time of Israel's history, there was anything but peace. Israel was besieged by all of its enemies, notably the people of Midian, who were constantly raiding them, and they kept living in a state of total and absolute insecurity. And as Gideon meets this angel, one of the uh, words or expressions by which God identifies himself and in which he reveals part of his nature and his personality is that God is referred to as Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And it's somewhat ironic that God would identify himself as the Lord is peace when all around is absolute insecurity and fear and the nation of Israel is under constant attack, not only from the people of Midian, but with the other neighbors who have formed a coalition against them. And the people of Israel are being oppressed, so much so that they have to hide out in caves, they have to stay away from their cities because they never know when the next attack will come. And if we fast forward to Isaiah 9 chapter 4, as a preface to the names given to the Lord Jesus, there's a reference to Midian's defeat as the oppressor. Now, this is no coincidence. The fact that Midian is mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 9, a couple of verses before um, the four names that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ, the last of which is that the Lord Jesus is the Prince of Peace, is a reference, is a direct reference to what Israel had faced in its past history when it was oppressed by the Midianites. And in the past, in the previous passage in Judges, it's Yahweh Shalom. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ being referred to as the Prince of Peace. No coincidence, a reason, a powerful reminder to the reader of Isaiah chapter 9. Now, how can the Lord Jesus Christ be the Prince of Peace? The Lord Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, 
And if we were to measure peace according to the regular standard that we have, which is the absence of war, there is no peace. All we need to think of are the two Koreas, North Korea and South Korea. The war has ended, or at least there's no active uh, acts of war for close to 70 years, if not more. And yet, North and South Korea have never signed a peace treaty. They have just ceased hostilities. If we fast forward today and we think of Afghanistan, Afghanistan faces a famine and is in the midst of another civil war between the Taliban and ISIS-K. Afghanistan is a failed state. If we were to go to Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka's economy has collapsed totally. You may remember scenes where people invited themselves to the presidential palace and were taking a dip in the president's swimming pool. Sri Lanka is a failed state. Lebanon, in Lebanon, you're lucky if you have three to four hours of electricity or three to four hours of water. You may be a millionaire in Lebanon, and yet you can only withdraw $100 US a week. You may have tons of money in the bank, but never have access to it. Lebanon is a failed state. No peace in Afghanistan, no peace in Sri Lanka, no peace in Lebanon, which in effect is run by a warlord. In the Horn of Africa, we have a famine taking place right here, right now. And we have Al-Shabaab militants attacking on a regular basis, Mogadishu. Somalia cannot provide any services to its citizens. Somalia is a failed state. If we come closer to home in Haiti, 60% of Port-au-Prince is ruled by gangs. For the longest time, they couldn't get any fuel in there unless you paid a tribute to the gang leaders. And in effect, the citizens of Haiti have no services from their central government. And it's sad to say, but Haiti is a failed state. Venezuela has had over 7 million citizens leave its borders. We haven't heard about this because we've been busy with our own problems dealing with COVID in the past two and a half years. But in Venezuela, out of a population of a pre-revolution in 2015 of 32 million, they're down to their mid-20s. Venezuelans are so desperate to leave their country that they're walking north through Central America, through Mexico, and they come to Texas where they try to cross the Rio Grande. There are 7 million people who have left Venezuela since 2015 as refugees who have gone either to Colombia or the neighboring countries or have come north to the United States. If Venezuela were to continue at this pace, there would be no people left in Venezuela in 28 years. Now that's not going to happen. But so that you understand the crises that we face 
today. And we may have forgotten those, or they may be underneath the radar screen, given the fact that we're dealing with our own issues, and there's just so much bad news we can take. Where is the peace? What kind of peace are we talking about? Is it wishful thinking? Is it an ideal? Is it a hope? Is it a hope that is based on something? Or is it a hope that has a foundation on it? I hope to answer that this morning with Scripture. No peace within borders, no peace from human to human. What about inner peace? I've done a little research, and what my research has disclosed, and these numbers may apply to Canada as well, in America, one in eight people will have used benzos. And what benzos are, are anti-anxiety uh, anti medication. And some popular brand names are Valium and Xanax, and a whole series of other anti-anxiety medication. How is it that one in eight people in America will have used anti-anxiety medication during their lifetime? Now, I am sure that the medication has its purpose and its reasons, but is it possible that we're, people are being overly medicated? Is it possible that something is making them incredibly nervous and anxious and restless? Is it screen time on your phone? I'm always amazed by the number of people who walk in the busiest intersections and who cross the street with their head down, looking at their screen. It just, I marvel at that and that there, are no, there, that there aren't more casualties because of the way people are attached to those phones. People go to bed with those phones. People shower with those phones. Those phones, I've seen people insert those phones in their headscarves, and they're going around Costco shopping, and they have, they're using their headscarves or their hat, and they can push their carriage and speak in their phones at the same time. There's either people have a lot of stuff to say, most of which is really I don't think objectively that important as to what type of cereal you had and whether you're using whole milk or 1% or skim. Why are people so restless? Why are people so anxious? Why is it that we don't have inner peace? Why is it that we don't have peace with our fellow man? Why is it people within the same family or the same ethnicity, in the same tribe, in the same country, why is it that there is no peace? And now the big question, where does the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, fit into this? Have Jesus' promises failed? 
Or, thank you for the correct answer. That is the right answer. Jesus' promises have not failed. But in the same way as an onion has many layers to it, the promise of Jesus' peace has many layers to it. He indeed is the Prince of Peace. Let's look at another passage. Acts 5.31 tells us that God exalted Him, Him is Jesus, to His own right hand as Prince and Savior, that He might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. That's the first clue as to why the Lord Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Clue number one. Next verse, please. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And here you see the word Salem. Salem is a derivative of the word Shalom. And Shalom is a word for peace in Hebrew. And the word peace in Hebrew is way more than just an absence of war. Shalom in Hebrew means perfect, total, and absolute peace. It's a holistic. In other words, it's peace on the outside, peace this way, peace this way, peace here. Did you get that? Peace vertically, peace horizontally, peace inside. Melchizedek is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. And Abraham has an encounter with this Melchizedek, who is not only a priest, but he is the king of Salem, or the king of Jerusalem. And Melchizedek is a type of Jesus who is to come. But who is the real Melchizedek, or out of the order of Melchizedek? The answer is found here as we fast forward to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed them. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Our prince of peace is also king of peace. And if you were to go one verse previous to Hebrews chapter 7, in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20, it specifically says that Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek. Okay? So this is sending the groundwork. The passage in Acts and here in Hebrews as to why he is the Prince of Peace and at the same time the King of Peace. Now we're going to look at a Christmas passage that most of you would be familiar with or should be familiar with. It's an encounter between the angels and the shepherds. 
And the shepherds are absolutely and totally terrified when they meet this angel. As a matter of fact, whenever, generally speaking, whenever an individual in Scripture meets an angel, they are absolutely terrified and fearful to the point of death. Well, not to the point of death, but they're really scared. Let me read this passage for you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth, in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, and this is, this is the point that I want to drive home, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to whom? On whom his favor rests. Can I expound on that a bit? His favor rests on people who are open to him. His favor rests on people who are inclined to him. His favor rests on people who are open-minded in receiving the good news. We will see later on that one of the byproducts of peace with God is inner peace. But this is important. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. I have a question for you this morning. And you need to answer that question for yourself. I don't need an audible response. I don't need you to vocalize it. Are you open to God? Are you open to good news? Would you even explore the possibility that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give you reconciliation with His Father? Are you open to the notion that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give you peace, inner peace, and peace with your fellow man? Or have you closed your eyes? Have you closed your heart? Have you struck that out as a possibility? It is very difficult for God's peace, rather it's impossible for God's peace to rest on you if you're not open and receptive. I'm always flabbergasted by the number of progressive people, the open-minded people, the liberal people, who are so open-minded about everything else, everything else, except God and except the Lord Jesus Christ with regard to the claim. They won't even give you a chance to tell you or to express to them what your hope is, why you have peace. Isn't that ironic 
for open-minded people. That they would not even consider the possibility that the Lord Jesus Christ is who He claims to be. Isn't it ironic that they've just dismissed the existence of a creator of heaven and earth? And they're willing to believe that the whole shebang is just one coincidence. It just happened. It's actually mathematically the most improbable thing for all of heaven and earth with the number of celestial bodies up there and the complexity of every human being and every human being being, sorry for using the word two times, an original, and the complexity on the smallest scale, which is our, DI, our DNA, and on a molecular level. We're only scratching the surface of that as to the complexity of what is smallest and what is biggest. And yet, all of these quote-unquote intellectuals and people who know better than us keep telling us how progressive and open-minded they are. Now, i got to stop here because I get really excited about stuff like this. And I may digress, and I may go off on a tangent, and I may stray away from the purpose of this morning's sermon. So please, next verse. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And what does He procure? What does He provide? What does He achieve on the cross? First and foremost, if you're going to remember anything this morning, remember these three phrases. Peace with God. Peace with our neighbor. Peace within. Peace with God. Peace with our neighbor. Peace within. Ladies and gentlemen, Young people, boys and girls, the coming of Jesus is so huge. It's so meaningful. It's, it's incredible. Why is it so incredible? First and foremost, God, eternal God, mighty God, takes on the fleshly form and decides to live with us, willingly. We can't even begin to explain that. That's number one. Number two, and I've been to Bethlehem, he was born in something that was smaller than that closet, if you've ever been in there, if there's not too much junk in there. And in the most humble of circumstances. And he grew up and flourished. Not rich, but he was absolutely and totally amazing. Never laid a false step. Never misspoke. Never had a terrible thought. He just led the most perfect life. That's huge. Number three, he let himself be crucified on the cross. And then the grave couldn't hold him down. 
And brothers and sisters, friends, He did it for you and you and you and you and you and me. This is the part where I get choked up. And every time... Every time I take the pulpit, I am humbled because I know what I am. And I can't lie to myself. So he wants to give us peace with God our Father. Can we move to the next five verses? These five verses explain it all. The mission, the purpose, the achievement, the end result. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, who has been given to us. We could have a whole message or a whole series just on these five verses. Do you notice here the fact that we mention hope two times? And this is not hope that is wishful thinking. This is hope based on a solid foundation and for the believer a solid assurance an inescapable truth an absolute certainty it's not wishful thinking that's what it means to us and we have peace with God and there is a section in there that talks about hard times believers in Christ are not exempt from hard times. And even though we have hard times, He walks with us, He walks us through it, and we're never left alone. We are never left alone because we have the Holy Spirit to see us through. I trust God. I don't always live that way. Because if I told you that, I'd be a liar. And I acknowledge my failings and my weaknesses. But I trust Him. I trust that He keeps each and every single one of His promises. Next verse, please. This one is excellent. This one also explains the gospel in six short verses. He is the Prince of Peace. And what is his first objective? 
for us to have peace with God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. He is the peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity, one of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. It's a parallel passage to the one in Romans, but they both mention in a few short verses, in a few short sentences, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ and why He is the Prince of Peace and the peace that He achieves, the primary peace. Not necessarily world peace, at least not now, but first and foremost, peace with our Maker. Peace with our Creator. Reconciliation. That peace is available to all of you this morning if you haven't chosen to make it yet. And His favor rests upon you if you extend your hand to Him. His hand is reached down to you. It's up to you if you're within earshot or if you see me this morning to reach out and to take the hand extended to you and to experience that exquisite event of reconciliation with your Maker and God. Are you an open-minded person? Would you even consider it? You don't even have to tell anyone. But deep in your own person, are you even willing to entertain that there is a God and that He's greater than you and that you've offended Him and fall short of the mark? You don't have to answer audibly. You need to answer here. Am I even willing to entertain that? And if I'm willing to entertain that, am I willing to reach out and take that stretched out hand? Nothing to lose, eternity to gain. First we need peace with God. Then we need peace with one another. Between brothers and sisters, in our families, with our neighbors, our co-workers, at school, the people who we share the Metropolitan with and the carry, all of those people, we need to be at peace with them. This is what Scripture teaches about peace. We've done the vertical. Let's go horizontal. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Mm. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, the if here is not a conditional that, well, if you feel like it and you're predisposed to it, be at peace. No, 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 no. That's not it. The if possible here conveys the thought that even though the other person is not willing, on your side, you must make an attempt. There are no guaranteed results. You may be rebuffed. You may be turned down. But on your side, you have the duty and the obligation to reach out to the other person. Okay? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I'm of Italian ex extraction, and this is not in my DNA. But I'm called to be someone else. I'm called to be someone else because I don't belong to myself anymore. If I say and I claim out of this mouth that I am a disciple and a follower of Jesus, and I am a slave to Jesus, I have no choice in the matter. Peace with everyone. These verses were spoken in the upper room by the Lord Jesus Christ right before His arrest and crucifixion. Right before His arrest and crucifixion. He knows exactly what He's facing or what He's going to experience. And He utters these words for posterity, for everyone else. So he's going to be betrayed, arrested, tortured, mocked, crucified, suspended between earth and heaven on a cross. And this is what he's saying. You should underline this in your Bible, or if you're taking notes. This one is important. These two are very important. And these ones are an antidote to anxiety. If you memorize them and you claim them as your own. Peace I leave with you. My peace. My peace? Jesus' peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Wow. Wow. This is something else. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And again, do not be afraid. Don't be restless. Don't be scared. Don't be terrified. You keep asking Jesus as many times as necessary. And if it takes more than once, you keep asking. Because there's no conditions here. It's a promise. This is Jesus speaking again. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. So okay, everything is smooth sailing, right? Once I embrace God, everything's good. Everything's always good. Forget about it. Rather, in this world you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. 
each and every one of you, I can pretty much say, has their own set of troubles. I don't know what they are. God knows. Some of us have little troubles. Some of us have bigger troubles. Some of us have big, big troubles. But Jesus tells you ahead of time, you will have trouble, even though you're walking with him. But here's the kicker. Here's the guarantee. But take heart. What does but take heart mean? You can, you can yell it out. What does take heart? Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Cheer up. Good, good, good. Don't give up. Be lifted up. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Not you. The Lord Jesus has overcome the world. Peace with God. Peace with your fellow man. And inner peace. All of these things qualify the Lord Jesus Christ to be the what? The Prince of Peace. And in Hebrews, it qualifies him with another title, King of Peace. And his father is referred to as Jehovah Shalom. Shalom, just an absence of war, it's bigger. They're small concentric circle, bigger, biggest. The whole deal, the whole ball of wax, or as they say, the whole enchilada, it's the real deal, real peace in the fullest, deepest, perfect, most complete sense. I don't have enough words to express it. Even though my wife tells me I have too many words. Can we move on, Kelly? Why am I talking about the other guy here? Who's the other guy? Who's the bad guy? It's not our guy. This is not our guy. And now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And it's a continuation. It's an, in which you, in Ephesians 2.2, 2, I just shortened it, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's the prince of light. He's our guy. And then there's the prince of darkness. That's the other guy. Have you noticed that they're both princes? There's only one good one here. Make sure you're following the right one. Make sure that you're a servant and a subject of the prince of peace. Get out of the other zone. Come in on our side. Come in to the side of light. That is the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an invitation that is open to all of you by the Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas season. That's why Christmas is so big, brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. The music's good. The presents are good. 
the family get-togethers are good, the time off, it's all good. But that's small potatoes as opposed to the real deal. This is the real meaning of Christmas. At this point of my message, you must be tired because I'm exhausted. I'm going to leave you with this blessing from Scripture that Paul wishes to all of those who are going to read his letter. This is the benediction for you today and in the coming weeks. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole, all of you, every single component of you, be at peace. And then, should you have any doubt, if you had any doubt whatsoever, the writer had to add a few more words. He who calls you is faithful. He will maybe do it, he's going to do it, good day, bad day. Look at the manner in which, in which the promise is qualified. What's the word? He will surely do it. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Jehovah Shalom, we are absolutely overwhelmed in the revelation of yourself through Scripture, in the revelation of your Son in Scripture. I know we're just scratching the surface, but nonetheless, the best way we know how, we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to make all of this meaningful and that it's not any, that it's not just words and mumbo-jumbo, but this touches us in the innermost recesses of our beings. It touches us. It speaks to us. It's real. I thank you. We thank you for the magnitude and the scope of these promises, of these revelations, of these declarations. I pray that we would adhere to it, that we would claim them. Thank you that for our King. Thank you for our Prince. Thank you that He's taken us out of darkness, out of the dark domain, and brought us into light. Thank you that you're patient and you're kind and that you're forgiving and that you are the savior of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Thank you that you are our prince and savior this morning. And my prayer is that if there be anyone within earshot who does not know you, Jesus, as Prince and Savior, that they would be open-minded and that the Spirit would bring them to a place where they would embrace you as you wait with, for them with open arms. 
Lord Jesus, this morning, the best way I know how, the best way we know how, we want to tell you we love you. We worship you. We bow the knee before you. We raise up our hands to the heavens. And we proclaim that there is but one God and one Savior. And He is not a way, a truth, a life. But that He is the way, the truth, and the life. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. And now, give us peace as we depart this place. Today, tomorrow, until the day. We meet you face to face. We pray all of this in your beloved name. And all of his people said a big? Amen. Amen. God bless you and keep you.